Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today I'm happy to welcome back Dave Fuller. And the topic today is the Down East Loop, which is really gaining in popularity. And we'll talk about a few reasons for that as we go through our podcast today. Before I bring in Dave, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Dave Fuller, thanks for joining me again. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Kim. And we're uh, both fresh off the fall rendezvous last week, which was a great time, and thank you for speaking there, Dave. Um, today's topic is a little bit different, though. We want to talk about the Down East Loop. So for some, that is something they've heard of for years, but for many, the Down East Loop is an unfamiliar term. So let's start off with the basics. What exactly is the Down East Loop? All right. Kind of an elevator speech for the Down East Loop. It's going to be around 2,400 nautical miles or 2,761 statute miles. For the purpose of what we'll talk about today, starting in New York City and returning to New York City. Uh, so if we were if we go up from New York City up the Hudson River, the Champlain Canal, make our way to the St. Lawrence River, make a right to Quebec City. Most loopers, if they're going that way, usually go to Montreal to the left, but we're going to go right, go to Quebec City, ride the St. Lawrence River out to the St. Lawrence Sea kind of making a big right turn around uh, New Brunswick, go down to Prince Edward Island, make your way to Nova Scotia, and then take the southern shore of Nova Scotia back to Maine, and then down the New England coast to Cape Cod, the Long Island Sound, and return back to New York City. So, so definitely an extensive trip, part of which overlaps part of the Great Loop Route, at least one of the Great Loop Route options. And... Um, you know, really, it's always hard to visualize these things when we're just on an audio format. So if those of you who are listening, you know, kind of take out a map or go to Google Maps and kind of trace that. Um, but it, it's certainly an interesting circumnavigation. It's another loop. Uh, you and Claudia just finished this this season, correct? How long did it take? Okay. I uh, mentioned, you know, 2,760 miles. Uh, the cruising guides that we look at said a minimum of 90 days. Uh, so we actually took uh, 123 days, so a little bit longer. And you could actually uh, take probably another month. You know, you could probably do it in five months. would probably be the, on your max end with the weather window. But uh, so we, we kind of targeted to arrive in New York City June 1st. We actually got there 22nd of May. And we're thinking about trying to return back sometime in September and we made it back to New York City 13th of September. And again, we actually cruised Maine all by itself one year. And we didn't even turn around from upstate Maine until the third week of September. So by getting back to New York City in mid-September, I think you could still cruise another month mm -hmm. and add, add some time. But, so we, we were there again, you know, June to sometime in September would be a good time frame. Mm -hmm. So obviously we're talking about a, a pretty far northern route. 
uh, which is why the time frame you selected is, of course, a summer season. Were there weather concerns? How cold is it that far north at that time of year? Well, when you're going up the Hudson River Valley, I forget where, but you eventually will cross the 45th parallel where you're you know, halfway between the equator and the North Pole. And you'll get as high as the 49th parallel. So you are pretty far north. Uh, in Quebec, running the St. Lawrence River, you're still going northeast. So you're going to still be gaining northern latitude. So it was cool, but not cold. Uh, the temperatures probably at night were in the high 40s. And in the daytime, temperatures were in the low 70s. For the, you know, when we were up in that area in you know, June, July time frame. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that a lot of people mention when they talk about the Down East Loop is fog, or at least the potential for fog. Uh, did you encounter a lot of fog or other inclement weather? So when we were looking at that, because we, we followed uh, somebody a couple of years ago on their blog, and uh, almost every single day they were running into fog. And so it was like, man, what's going on with that? So I looked, if you if you go to their websites for weather in you know Quebec City, they talk about June and July for fog that it's over 20 days a year or a month. So in June and July, you can expect almost fog two-thirds of the time. But in August and September, it's down less than 10. It's like eight days. And so, again, if you time your arrival up to Quebec, a little bit better and get there in July rather than in June, May, June time frame, then you're, you're cutting your chances of fog way down. When we were running from Quebec on the St. Lawrence, we only had fog one day. It was about a week that we were there, two weeks, I guess, staying in Quebec. But we only had fog one day. And then we had fog one other day around Prince Edward Island. And then on Halifax, Nova Scotia, they're running that south part of Nova Scotia. The water this year was unseasonably warm. And they said it was like 10 degrees warmer. You might remember a hurricane went right over Halifax not too long ago. And that's why that warm water drew the hurricane that direction. But the, because of the warm water, you still had cool evenings. And so all eight days that we traveled that shore, uh, we had fog, but the, I guess the good news of that was the it's it's there in the morning, but it burns off you know pretty quickly you know between probably ten or eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. So if it burns off in that time frame, does that still give you enough travel time for a day, or or if it's foggy in the morning, is that kind of a stay put all day kind of thing? Well, we actually traveled in the fog. I'm not adverse to that, mm-hmm. but. If you if you didn't want to do that, you know, we were making like 40 or 50 mile hops down there from, you know, Anchorage to Anchorage. So you could easily wait and, and go later. The other thing with the time up there, because you're so far north, you get much more daylight. It was getting light at 430 in the morning and it wasn't getting dark till after 10. So you get oh. long, long travel days. Yeah, absolutely. That's something I hadn't considered. Um, it's it's typical to do the Great Loop counterclockwise, and that's primarily to take advantage of the river currents instead of fighting them uh, all the way north in the inland rivers. What about the downeast loop? Is it, do most people go clockwise or counterclockwise? So I would suggest for most people, if they're coming up the east coast, that you would go clockwise, go around, so up New York, as I mentioned before, and hooking a right to Quebec City at the St. Lawrence River. But we did meet people that were going counterclockwise, probably a half dozen. 
But the people that were doing that all started somewhere on the New England coast. And the reason they were doing it is that they were trying to maximize the amount of time uh, in what they call the Canadian Maritimes, which would be Nova Scotia, Brunswick, Prince Edward Island area. And so by going, starting that direction and going east first and getting into Canada, they were maximizing the amount of time that they could visit those areas. And they had cruised the New England and New York area extensively. So they were just going to, when they got past Quebec City, just pick the pace up and get home. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for most people, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go no, ahead. Go, no, go ahead. All right. For most people, I think if you're just coming up the East Coast, it makes more sense to, to go clockwise. But there really isn't any downside problems of going counterclockwise. Well, and as I said, the Great Loop, you know, the main reason most people go counterclockwise is to take advantage of the current rather than fighting it in the inland rivers. Tell us about tides and current on the Down East Loop. So for the St. Lawrence River, uh, you know, for these people that were going counterclockwise, they actually call it playing the tides up there. And there's a couple, two different tide stations that you'll become familiar with. And even if you're traveling clockwise, so when you're going from Quebec City out around the Gaspé Peninsula, you'll want to time your travel because kind of like the Hudson River, it flows both ways. So when the tides are coming in, the current's coming in, you'll be fighting the current even if you're going out the St. Lawrence. So you'll, you'll time, you'll, you'll know your speed of your vessel, and they'll give you, you know, if you're trying to get from point A to point B, then you want to leave. Uh, you know, at, at a time that you can ride the current the whole way. And all the marinas that you stop at, they're very familiar with it, going both directions, and they'll help you uh, time your departure and arrival at your next location so you can take advantage of the current. The other thing that we hear a lot is people are scared of the, the tides themselves. So for the most part, it isn't any different than coming up the Atlantic ICW, you know, where you get down south in the Georgia, South Carolina area where it could be, you know, 8, 10, 12 feet, you have the same kind of thing along Nova Scotia, but I think people get scared of the Bay of Fundy because they hear these 40-foot tides. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't actually have to go into the Bay of Fundy. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. Uh, Yarmouth is a town on the very southwest part of Nova Scotia. And we jump from there over to Maine, and you actually cross the Bay of Maine at that point, and they had probably 10, 12 feet tides there. So that's no different than, you know, like I say, South Carolina, Georgia area. But if you go north of there, uh, then that's when you start getting into the Bay of Fundy and these really huge tides. But you can avoid that if you want to. I'm glad you brought that up because I talk to lake boaters all the time who are just uh, blown away by the idea of the the kinds of tide we have here in Charleston, which, as you said, can be seven, eight, nine, sometimes more feet. So thinking about the Bay of Fundy or other places where there's a significant, much more significant uh, change in the tide, um, I'm glad you addressed that because, yeah, even for me, for somebody who's used to boating with significant tide changes, it sounds a little bit overwhelming there. So glad to hear that that's not really the case. And, And kind of while we're talking about that, uh, I've always been told that the Down East Loop is actually a little bit more challenging than the Great Loop, even though it's a shorter distance uh, in terms of boating skills, in terms of dealing with weather and tides and fog. 
it's actually a more challenging route and perhaps needs stronger boating skills than the actual Great Loop does. What are your thoughts about that now that you've done both? Well, uh, I saw that question that you had, and I gave that a lot of thought. Claudia and I talked about it quite a bit yesterday, trying to figure out how to answer that question. And I think what I'm going to say is I think they're comparable. And so, again, if we start in New York City, and the reason I'm going to say it's comparable is, you know, from New York City up to Quebec, that's the same as doing the the Great Loop. So that's equal one-to-one. On the St. Lawrence River, where you're going, you know, the river passage and you're watching the current, again, that's no different, I don't think, than going up the Hudson River where the – because the Hudson River will run both ways also. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, you play the tides very similar to you do on the Hudson River. Uh, when you come around the Gaspé Peninsula uh, and then down New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, that's very similar to, to cruising the Great Lakes, where you're going to have land on one side of you and a big open body of water on the other. And so you definitely do need to be watching the weather, but I don't think the skill's any different than boating, say, Lake Michigan in that area. And then when you're coming down that south coast of Maine, I mean, of Nova Scotia, you're wide open to the uh, Atlantic Ocean, and but that's going to be the same way for the whole New England area. You know, you're going to have mainland on one side, Atlantic on the other, and that's very similar to when people do the jump if you're running outside from Cape May, New Jersey, up to New York City. So I think, you know, I in my mind, it's very similar. I mean, you can find places on the Great Loop that are equivalent to what you're going to see on the Down East Loop. But your your point about the weather, you do, I think you have to be much more diligent about the weather. And so, you know, that would be the, the concern is you really have to watch your weather days and your travel days. We're on Lake Michigan where you have a, you can jump into a harbor if you make a mistake every 25 miles. You don't have that when you're cruising a lot of the maritime area. You're, not, you're just not going to find a place to get in off of it. So if, if something comes up, you've got to be able to get in safely, and it's not going to be a marina 25 miles away. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad to hear you say that because there is a lot of talk of people doing the Down East Loop next season in 2020, primarily because with the lock closures that we've been reporting about that are happening on the Illinois waterway in the summer and fall of 2020, a lot of cruisers are looking for an alternative, and the Down East Loop is certainly a, a great alternative. So I'm, I'm glad to hear if we may have some newer loopers or newer boaters out there that it may not be as challenging as, as some have alluded to to me in the past. Um, what are your thoughts about the Down East Loop as an alternative if you can't do the whole Great Loop next season? And, you know, from a practical standpoint, unless you live in New York City or somewhere on the Down East Loop, on the down east loop route you're obviously going to have to get to it completed and then head for points further south or store the boat so from a practical standpoint and from a is this a good alternative standpoint what are your thoughts so to answer as a good alternative i'm going to jump on board the train and say yes it is uh i think i'd rather do this than be part of the debacle that they had this year trying to get down the illinois river and i think it'll be worse next year than it was this year. So I think this is a great alternative. And I think as far as as boaters, I'm gonna say there's probably three classes of people on how to do it. And so full-time cruisers, so that's Claudia and I are full-time. 
And so we're on our way back south right now. So if I was in 2020, I would probably go north, do the down east loop, and then come south as far as your uh, conditions allow. As you know, what's your weather? How how much cold weather can you take? And you know, for us, we're going all the way to Florida. So I think that's one option. Is you know, you go up and come back. Another one, if you have a home, you know, obviously you could uh, store the boat, and then there's probably two ways to do that. So you could go up, do the down east loop. And store it anywhere in New England if you wanted to. Uh, prices, the closer you get to New York City, start going up. And then you could go back up the Hudson River and maybe get to Brewerton, you know, some other places on that area. But would would be the other thing is, you know, store it somewhere on in New England or store it somewhere on the Erie Canal would be the t- kind of two options. And then wait for 2021 to complete it. Right. Well, and and for those who are not interested in putting a tremendous amount of extra miles into their cruising, uh, storing on the Erie Canal makes a whole lot of sense. And we've got some sponsors there who specialize in winter storage. But of course, you know, again, depending on where you're starting from and depending on how far south you want to cruise, if we're talking about the Down East Loop is, you know, a little bit less than half of the mileage of the Great Loop. If you're planning to do that, the Down East in 2020, and then do the rest of the Great Loop in in a subsequent year, you certainly are adding a lot of miles, which if you enjoy cruising is certainly a great thing. Um, And if you're heading south, uh, you can come to Charleston, and we don't winterize boats here, so that's a consideration as well, but it does get a little cold sometimes in the winter. Um, So I guess I'm just trying to make sure that I've kind of covered all of the concerns that people ask me about. Kind of moving on away from the concerns, so to speak, you and Claudia were both talking about some of the whale sightings. Tell me about that, because that sounds amazing and certainly something that most people on the Great Loop have never seen. All right. So when we got up on the St. Lawrence River, we went into Quebec City, and then we didn't see any whales there on the St. Lawrence. But after we left Quebec City, we started seeing whales, and we would see at least two every day. it's a two-day travel to what is called the uh, Saguenay Fjord, and that is kind of the a feeding ground for the whales. So they're coming into the St. Lawrence River in the spring and summer to feed in there, and you're, we just saw tons of them in there. We Actually, we were kind of early inside the fjord itself and didn't see up, any up inside there, but we did see them all the time in the St. Lawrence uh, at Totosac is a little town at the Saguenay Fjord, and we stayed there for several days, and there's a little one-mile hiking trail that you can take, and there's a whale museum, and those whales will actually come up in the little cove there by the museum. People are sitting there on rocks. People walk this mile trail, and you can walk that trail and just look out and see the beluga whales, which were the easiest to spot because they're white. And we would see, you know, we did that every night, and you'd see 20, 20, 30 whales out there every evening. And then there's a large lighthouse out there that brings you into the fjord. And the tour boat, so you can take like a Zodiac tour where they provide you all the foul weather gear because you're going to get wet and cold. And Or a big, huge, you know, three-decker boat would go out. And they tend to go right to that lighthouse and then move up and downstream from there. But the the whales seemed to like that lighthouse, and everybody that we knew that cruised, if they got out to the lighthouse and looked around, they would find whales. 
And uh, so we probably saw, uh, I don't know, we quit counting probably over 100 whales on our trip. But when we were in the whale museum there, there they, one of the displays is they have spotters all up and down the uh, St. Lawrence River looking for whales. And they go online and, and tell you where they see and what kind they are. And so mostly you're going to see these belugas, humpback whales, and minke whales. But you can go to that website every day and look and see where people are spotting them. So when we were traveling, I made sure we went to where they were getting spotted and to increase our odds of seeing them. <laughs> wow. What is it like to see a whale um, when you're aboard your boat? You know, do you feel small and insignificant? You know, what, what is that moment like? It's it's pretty exciting. Uh, you know, they, they definitely have rules for you to keep them. You're supposed to stay so many feet away from them in different types of whales, different distances. But uh, we had a couple, you know, we violated that rule several times, but not on purpose. But w- you, you wouldn't even know they were there. And all of a sudden, a couple of belugas would pop up right in front of the bow. You know, they'd be 30 yards away from you. And just put the boat in neutral and you just drift till they get away from you. But it, it's pretty exciting and uh, it's kind of a, a once in a lifetime experience, except for it was happening every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and how big typically is a beluga whale? The belugas, I forget how long they are, but our boat's 43. And so they were probably, I would say, 12 feet. They're not real big, 12 mm-hmm. to 20 maybe. But those humpback whales are as big as your boat. So, you know, they would come up beside you and and we would just drift sometimes and they would just, you know, be coming around you. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, they're as big as the boat. That was one of Claudia's concerns was going up there. What happens if they come up and hit the bottom of the boat and tough us over? I'm with her. <laughs> that, did, <laughs> that didn't happen, but, mm-hmm. uh, but they did get pretty close at times. So, but it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and these are the the things that I love to live vicariously through those of you who are out there living the life because those are the moments that it's all about. So sounds very exciting. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. After that, we're going to come back, and I want to talk a little bit about some of the specifics of some of the best stops, which, again, is a little bit challenging in only an audio format when people aren't looking at where you went. Um, But we do want to hear about some of those specifics. So we'll be back in a moment. Are you looking for a new luxury marina at an affordable price? Visit Marlin Bay Resort and Marina, located in the Florida Keys. Modern docks are now available for daily, weekly, monthly, and annual rental. Each boater has unlimited free access to all of the resort's amenities, such as a large heated pool with jacuzzi and pool bar, fitness room, sauna, and steam room. Enjoy the upscale clubhouse, which is the perfect place to relax on land. And coming soon, the marina will offer new boat lifts. The marina offers billiards, table shuffleboard, and a game room, fish stations, barbecue grills, and a waterfront observation tower to see unbelievable views of Marathon. There are also a number of beautifully appointed vacation homes considered to be some of the nicest in the Keys. Marlin Bay Resort and Marina in Marathon is a perfect layover destination and has everything a cruiser could want. Come and visit Marlin Bay Resort and Marina today. You'll be glad you did. See them online at www.marlinbay.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Today we're chatting with Dave Fuller. He and his wife Claudia just uh, in the past few months completed the Down East Loop. And that is a trip growing in popularity, I think uh, both as an alternative to doing the Great Loop in 2020 because of the lot closures, but also because I think there are more and more 
people who have completed the Great Loop, like Dave and Claudia, who just fall in love with the lifestyle and are looking for some additional cruising. So we're seeing more people do the Down East Loop. Um, Dave, before we jump into some of the specifics of your favorite spots and your favorite stops, um, one thing I neglected to ask, what was the, uh, the amount of commercial traffic like, particularly on the St. Lawrence, because I think many people think of that as a very commercial waterway? On the St. Lawrence, it's really wide. So, you know, I kind of mentioned, you know, cruising Lake Michigan where you're on one side and you can't see the other. So that's going to be how the cruising on the St. Lawrence will be. The big ships stay in the center. They, there is a big ship's channel, but uh, the water is very deep right up to the edge. The Appalachian Mountains come all the way up to the south shore of the St. Lawrence River. So on that south shore, that is where most people run, it drops off in depth. So you can run right next to the shore uh, pretty much all the way, and you don't even mess with those big guys. Okay, good to know. So one of the things that you provided me in preparation for this podcast was kind of your cruising guide, which does a great job of you know listing your travel days and the distances and how many locks and notes and things like that. And we're going to share that on our website for our members to take a look at. So um, if you are a member, look for a link to that in the forum, and I can probably put that in the description for the podcast as well, so people might have an easier time finding that if they're members. Um, but kind of walk us through, we've got not too much, we've got about six or seven minutes left, but we're a little flexible on that. Um, but, you know, kind of walk us through it and share some of the, the best places you visited. All right. Well, what I'm going to, I'll start off with a disclaimer. Uh, I think the Hudson River Valley is rich in history and a great place to cruise, but you can get that information, what people like on the AGLCA, other mentions. Mm -hmm. And kind of the same thing with the New England coast and Long Island Sound. You know, there's Nantucket, Martha's Vineyard, Block Island, Newport, Rhode Island, Biscuit, Connecticut, where they made a pizza that made a movie famous. <laughs> uh, New London, Connecticut. I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, Boston. But I'm going to ignore all of those because I think most people are aware of what's available in America. And when we were talking to people trying to get ready for this, the kind of the thing that consistently we heard was they wish they would have taken more time in five places. So let me talk about those five. And, and, and when they say more time, they spent three or four days there. Claudia and I, we spent a week at each one of these places. And so I'll name them, and we'll go back and talk about them. So the first would be Quebec City. Second is Prince Edward Island. The third is Barda Lake. Fourth would be Halifax. And the fifth is going to be Arcadia National Park, which is actually in Maine. But those five places, to me, were the highlights of the of the of doing the Down East Loop. Quebec City is uh, kind of it's a, the only walled city in North America. And so it's very unique. It's like stepping into a European town. It's it's large but small. It has a very small town feel. Uh, sidewalk cafes everywhere. Uh, you know, boutiques and shops if you want to go shopping. The history there, again, is rich. You know, Samuel Champlain, Joliet, you know, for the lock and the, the wall, the town there that we stop at, you know, south of Chicago. That was kind of his home stomping grounds. So a lot of history uh, that shaped North America is there. You can go to the fort. They have a changing of a guard ceremony. You can. There's a museum at the fort. So just 
anything and everything you'd want to do is in Quebec City. And it's just a really neat place, kind of a, a very unique town in North America. So we spent a week there. Uh, Prince Edward Island uh, was a, another neat stop. There's several towns, but uh, we stayed at Summerside on the western part of the town and then went over to Charlottesville. Uh, very different, but uh, enjoyed both sides of that. And we did rent a car in uh, Charlottesville so we could tour. And if I remember right, I think there's 68 lighthouses that are around the the island. And so we didn't hit all 68 of them, but we tried to hit as many of them as we could on the eastern side of the island. We didn't go to the western side because we just ran out of time. Uh, but you, you can drive. There was a really beautiful beach on the north shore. And we parked the car. You, you take a hike. They actually have a floating dock that it does have handrails on both sides so you don't fall in the water. But it was probably a half mile long that you're walking across the water to get to the beach and big, huge sand dunes. That kind of surprised me. It was comparable to the sand dunes that you see on Lake, on the western side there of Lake Michigan. Uh, huge, beautiful beaches. Uh, Barda Lake is uh, at the east end of Nova Scotia. There's a Brendan Island, and inside of that island is this huge lake. And you can get into it through the south at St. Peter's, and it's open to the north to the Atlantic Ocean. So we went in there, we spent a week, and we had planned to anchor out five or six different places every every night, just move to a different location, check it out. But when we got to Bedeck, a city on our second, I think it was the second night we got there, and we dropped anchor. That town was really fascinating. There's an Alexander Graham Bell uh, museum. He he had a home there. Uh, you can't tour the home, but they've made a museum for him. And it's kind of the Kitty Hawk of Canada. So where the Wright, the Wright brothers were doing flight in the Carolinas, Alexander Graham Bell and a team was doing flight in Canada. So this is where they did their first flights and tests. So that's all. They have the first plane that they flew up there. It's pretty interesting. But from there, two other things we did is that island, there's a trail called the Cabot Trail, C-A-B-O-T, Cabot. And it's one of the top 10 motor roads in the whole world. So we uh, just beautiful. Uh, we wanted to rent a car there and drive it at our own speed. But unfortunately, though, we couldn't get a, a rental car. And uh, there's one guy who could take us around, but he was busy doing something else. And so we finally found a tour out of Bedeck. And the lady uh, that owns that company, they have three different vehicles, depending on the size of the tour. And just by sheer luck, Claudia and I were the only two people on the tour that day. So we got a personal tour around the Cabot Trail all day long, which was really fascinating. And then the other thing that we did there was a Claudia had learned about puffins while we were in Maine once before, and there's an island north of this out in the Atlantic called Bird Island, and so we took a, a boat tour out to Bird Island, saw puffins. On that tour, we probably saw 75 to 100 bald eagles, and on every rock there was a seal, and so we probably saw two or 300 seals, and they would they were used to this boat coming by, and she was throwing fish out for them to eat. So uh, as soon as they heard the boat, they were coming to the boat. So it was pretty 
pretty fascinating trip also. Had a great time at Barta Lake. And then the other weird thing that happened while we were there is they were having um, the swim the canal. So there's a little lock to get into the, to the lake on the south end at St. Peter's. So once a year, they open that lock up and let the locals swim from the lake into the Atlantic Ocean. So that was fun to watch. There were three or 400 people doing it. And uh, a little chilly for me because I think the water was like 68 degrees. Oh, yeah, that's chilly. I'm not, I'm not getting in that water, but they certainly enjoyed it, and it was fun to watch. So, uh, so that was kind of neat. Um, then Halifax is in Nova Scotia. I'm kind of midway in the middle on the south shore of Nova Scotia. A lot of history there from World War II. Uh, just a neat little town. We probably would have only stayed there three or four days, but then we got socked in by weather. We had to wait for the wind to die down. So, But it was plenty to do there, lots of fun. Uh, there's a farmer's market every day. Uh, the water side is very walkable, another neat maritime museum. So uh, lots to see and do there. And then I'll end with uh, Arcadia National Park, uh, one of our jewels in our national park system. Spent about a week there. And uh, there is a hop-on, hop-off uh, bus that we you can do a loop thing that you hit all the major tour spots. Uh, there's a really great bus system, a free bus system, I should say, that you can get from the marina, go anywhere on the island that you want. And then uh, there's carriage roads that the Roosevelt's built back in the 40s, I think they were, maybe 30s or 40s. And so we biked all over that. We probably... I think there's 50 miles of carriage roads. We got our bikes off the boat and rode a lot of those carriage roads. So uh, those are kind of be the five main places, main big things, and not to take away from the other things, again, that I mentioned on, in New England or uh, up the Hudson River. That's all great stuff. But these were kind of the five places that are kind of unique and harder to get to. So yeah. I'll end with that. And thank you for sharing those. One of the things I love about uh, the cruising style that you and Claudia do is that you really seem to look at the boat as the mode of transportation and enjoy that time cruising. But when you get to some place, I love how much land exploring you do um, to yeah. really see the sights. So thank you for sharing that. This is probably going to be a little bit of a loaded question, um, but you two have cruised so extensively at this point. How does the this particular trip, the Down East Loop, compare to some of the other cruising that you've done well uh as far as the great loop we've gone around twice because once is not enough uh and we pretty much cruised all of it we haven't been up the ohio river yet to get to pittsburgh that's on the list and we haven't been down the lower mississippi but pretty much if there's a body of water on the loop we've pretty much been on it now and uh and then we've done this down east loop claudia was very apprehensive about doing it because you know you know the fog, the weather, the being all the ocean cruising. And that's kind of why we went to Maine in 2017 just to to uh, kind of feel it out. Is it really something that we can do or not? And and we decided we could. And then it wasn't as bad as we had heard. And Claudia is ready to do it again. So I think that's a that's a big big uh, plus. And as far as the comparing it to the Great Loop, you know, there I love the Great Loop, and it all it, it's all neat to see the whole 
whole United, eastern side of the United States. I, I kid people that the eastern U.S. is an island. And uh, it's all beautiful. It's all in its own right. But this down east loop re- rivals anything that the Great Loop has to offer. Excellent. And I think that's a perfect place to end that conversation. Dave Fuller, thank you for joining me again. Thanks for taking the time to share the information. I know you are actively cruising and probably uh, ready to wrap this up so you can get on your way. So thanks to both you and Claudia for, for taking the time to prepare for this. We appreciate you coming back. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.